excited about. That is something to praise the Lord about. I'm so happy to be here this morning. And I'm I'm glad that you're here this morning. How many people are having a good day today? Great. How many people are having not so good of a day today? No, that's good. But, you know, sometimes we have... I'm not going to say bad days because I don't like declaring negativity. But sometimes we have days that are better than other days. Can I say that? There's some days that are better than other days. I think any day that you're walking in the in the presence of the Lord and walking with the Lord, that that, regardless of the circumstances, is a good day. But there's days that are better than other days. Sometimes you can get some indications of when a day may be a good day or maybe that it may not be such a good day. Like, it it might not be such a good day if you came into your place of work and there's a 60-minute phone crew there waiting for you. That might be an indication that there could be something to be concerned about. Or, we talked about birthdays a lot today. If your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles, it might be that it... There may have been better days. I, I don't. What about if your twin brother forgets your birthday? That's, that's just not right. <laughs> if that happened, it might not might not be one of your best days. Or how about this? If you're driving down US 17 and somebody tries to cut you off and you blow your horn and your horn gets stuck and you can't get it unstuck and you look up and there's a gang of bikers right in front of you. They slow down and turn back and look at you to try to decide what they're going to do with you. That might not be an indication of it being maybe one of your better days. But I say that in all the silliness that it is, that these things that happen, any of those or other things, do not guarantee that you're going to have a bad day. It may be an indicator that that day may not be as good as others. And if I was sharing this with you about 2,000 years ago, I could add this to that list. You know it's going to be a bad day if you're stripped of your clothes, beaten with wooden sticks, and thrown into a prison. That's going to be a pretty good indication that it may not be such a good day. And that's exactly what happened to two men living in the first century. Their names were Paul and Silas. Now these two guys were called by God to go into a region of the world to preach the gospel, a region known as Macedonia. They had been closed out from going other places, Asia and other places that God had just shut the door to. And through a vision that Paul had opened up his eyes that this was the place to go. So he and Silas went. Obedient. But when they got there, they ran into opposition, primarily because Paul had cast out a spirit of divination in a, in a woman that was, uh, because of that spirit, able to increase the fortunes of other people around her. They were making money off of this. And when he cast that spirit out, they didn't like it. That was cutting into their income. And so what they did is they, and again, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but they gathered people together in the community, turned them against Paul and Silas, and basically said that these guys need to be treated as criminals, even though they really hadn't done anything wrong. And that's what they did. They they 
treated them as common criminals. And if we look, we're going to look today at Acts chapter 16. That's where we're going to be working from. And Acts chapter 16, uh, the verses 22 through 30 is really where we're going to be. Primarily, you can read the whole story at some point later. But this is what, it starts in verse 22, this is what it says, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon. Have you ever been heard, heard the term, getting thrown under the jail? That's what they did to Paul and Silas. The regular jail wasn't good. They threw them in the inner dungeon plant their feet in the stocks. You know what stocks are, right? Those things that go around you and they're chained up and you're basically you can't move, can't do anything. So I don't know about you, but if I were beaten with sticks, bloodied up, thrown into a cold dungeon, and then to make things worse, tying my feet up and everything, where I couldn't move, I think that might be something that I would say was not going to be my best day. But that's exactly what they did to Paul and Silas. That's pretty serious. I know it sounds like we read it and it doesn't. Think about that for a minute. What they were enduring. And you know, after that, I would think, if they're humans like they were, like we are, that they would have plenty of reasons to be upset about that. Perhaps to question God. To, to maybe even possibly be angry with God. Or at the very, very least, be highly disappointed in Him. Because after all, he called them to go there. He showed Paul that this was the place to go, and they went in obedience. And yet, this is what's happening? I think they could say things like, God, what's going on? Why are we in prison? Why are we beaten up? Why are we here? Didn't we do what you asked us to do? Why are you letting these things happen to us? I can hear all of that being said, but you know what? They may have said that, but they didn't say any of that. At least it's not recorded in Scripture. I don't believe that they did at all. They did something completely different, completely opposite of what we would think in our minds that we would normally do in a situation like that. Or what we maybe have done in circumstances, not even as, as dire as this would be. They did something completely different, cold, uncomfortable, hungry, bruised, maybe have concussions, who knows, on that cold, damp dungeon floor, what they decided to do was this. And this is where we look at verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, how many of you would say that that's what you would do? I'm just, I'm asking. I wish I could say that I know that I would, but I don't know that I would. I would hope that I would. But I don't know that. But I don't think you do either. Because I don't think anyone in here, I could be wrong, and if so, see me after service, because God bless you, I'm going to lay hands and pray for you. If you've ever been through anything like this. This is pretty severe, what they were going through. I don't think anybody's ever been beaten within an inch of their life, thrown into a dungeon, and have any idea how these guys go. Now remember, being in any jail is not a good thing. But a jail today in 2019 compared to the first century, think about the difference. They didn't have sanitation measures. They didn't have running water. They didn't have toilets. Can you imagine? And again, I don't mean to be indelicate, but can you just imagine what it smelled like in there? In this dark, they didn't have cots with mattresses and a sheet and a blanket and a pillow. They didn't have that. 
then. They didn't have climate control. We get all upset. Our air conditioning went out last week. I mean, that's a big problem, isn't it, Denise? <laughs> I mean, when your air conditioning goes out in Florida, you know it. And you're like, we're sitting here complaining about, man, can you believe our air conditioning? <laughs> it's like, they didn't even have that. This is the day they have that. They have climate control. All of these things, it's not even, you can't even compare it. Not that being in, and being in prison today would have to be an awful, terrible thing. But compared to this, man, the suffering these guys were going through, so I think about it, and I, and I think we can't relate to that because of how severe what they were going through would be. But then I thought, or can we, in some way? Have we ever been suffering in a time in our life where we feel like we didn't deserve it? Have you ever had to go through a struggle or a challenge in your life when you think that you weren't owed that, or that you were doing everything right, and maybe that you just, why are you having to go through that? Maybe you stood up for your convictions and stood up for what you believed in only to be slapped down or ridiculed or chastised. Maybe you've been in that prison cell, not literally, as Paul and Silas were, but in that type of, an, of a situation. And I look at Paul and Silas and I think about, they weren't the first ones to go through this type of thing. Now that story is unique to them. There are other stories of, uh, of people ministering the gospel being put in prison, but there's other stories throughout the scripture of people that were in difficult circumstances similar to this. Think about David in the, in, the, in the cave of Abdullah. Now, he is there, cold, scared, hungry, running away from a guy that he would have given his life for. Yet now he's running scared because of the way the circumstances had turned. He had to ask why. He was hiding and fearing for his life. What about Joseph in Pharaoh's prison? For no other reason but that his brothers, his own blood brothers, because of their envy and jealousy and sin, decided to sell him into slavery and cast him away and, 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 and just leave him like that. He was in Pharaoh's prison, but protected by loving God. I think about Daniel. What about Daniel, who's in a den of hungry lions, sleeping like a baby, because instead of them feeding on Daniel, God shut the mouths of the lions, the scripture says. I think about three young boys, young Jewish boys, living out their faith at that time, refusing to bow to a king and to a golden idol of a God that was not the one true God. But they were willing to stand up. And as a result of it, King Nebuchadnezzar decided he was going to throw them in this, this fiery furnace. And it wasn't just enough to throw them in. And I think basically if you get thrown in any fiery furnace, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do some damage. Any fiery furnace that I've ever seen. But no, that wasn't good enough. Let's eat it up seven times greater than it said today. So much that when he threw these three young Jewish boys into the furnace, the men that threw them into the furnace were killed by the heat of the fire. And then, I love this. This is just one of my favorite things in the scripture. King Nebuchadnezzar says, and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. Hey, um, guys, weren't there three guys that we put in there? Weren't there three? They said, yes, king, yes, king. Yes, your majesty, that's right. He says, well, look, I see four men walking around in there, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. I think about them. See, Paul and Silas. 
host of angels. So instead of complaining or worrying about it, they decided we're going to pray and we're going to sing and praise God. That was what they decided to do. Now look, if you today or the next time that you are in a prison of difficulty, in a dungeon of of doubt or loneliness or despair or whatever it is, remember this, if you don't remember anything else, remember that you're not alone. You're not walking through that alone. And then do something that to the world or to anyone else, and even to you maybe, might seem a little strange. Sing a song of praise. Sing a song of declaration of God's goodness. We just did it a moment ago. I think if Paul and Silas were in this day and age, because I don't know what songs they sang, they didn't say, sang hymns, they said, the scripture says. But what if they were here today? What might they sing? We just sang it a minute ago. What if they did this? God, you're so good. Think about it. In the prison now. God, you're so good. Sing it with me. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. I can hear it. I can hear them singing. And then going on to say, I am blessed. I am called. I am healed. I am whole. I'm saved in Jesus' name. It doesn't matter if I'm on a prison floor and in the, under, in the inner part of the dungeon. I am still all of those things. I'm going to declare it in Jesus' name. Highly favored anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. That's what they would be singing if they were singing that today. They were singing something similar to that. A song of the day. A declaration of praise. A declaration of faith. A declaration of belief. But you can sing something as simple as the old Sunday school song. Jesus loves me, this I know, sing it. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Now here it is. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. They may have just been singing that. But the point is, is that no matter what the circumstances, it may sound a little crazy. I don't know if Paul and Silas felt that way, but if they did, they sure didn't act like it. They sure didn't say it. They just did it. And it says in verse 25, I always thought this was a little funny when we were talking about that, it says, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And I thought, yeah, they're listening to them because they're in prison. (laughs) Have you ever thought about this? This is. They were truly a captive audience. All right. Scratch that one off for the next time. (laughs) If there ever was a captive audience, that was it. But anyway, they could have started a jail ministry there. They could have just been there and been happy in the prison. They could have done whatever that they they felt like doing. But they were going to praise God in spite of their circumstances. They were going to lift his name. And God had another plan in mind for them. And let's look on here as we go into Acts chapter uh, 16, verse 26. We're going to pick it up here. Suddenly, there was a... Now, remember, this is after they were singing hymns and praise. What I'm about to say right here, where we're going to read. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Now, listen. Phyllis said this in prayer today, prophetically, I think. God takes the impossible situation and makes it possible. It was impossible what these guys were facing. But 
can't take away anything today, but let's know this, that the power of God can set you free like that. The power of God can come into your life like an earthquake. Like an earthquake shaking the foundation of whatever prison you find yourself in. It can break off the chains of anything that's binding you or holding you back from all that God has for you. Just like that. You can't do it on your own. Don't even try sometimes. I'm not saying don't, don't, don't do things. I'm just saying sometimes it's better just to say, just recognize. We sang another song. We will stand in awe of the one who breaks the chains. Say that with me. We will stand in awe of the one who breaks the chains. And who is it? Jesus. He has a name. Jesus. Love has a name. It's Jesus. Victory has a name. It's Jesus. Chains being broken has a name. It's Jesus. Addictions being left at the altar has a name. It's Jesus. Victory in all facets of your life. It's one place. It's going to one place. It's one name above all. And it's Jesus. Paul and Silas knew that. They knew that. Now, they didn't really have any chance of getting out of there on their own. I don't think they had any way to sort of file away the chains and give it out. And if they did, let's say they got out of those, the stocks or whatever they were in. They got free of that. Now they got to get out of the iron gates or whatever it is, the prison that they were in. They got to get clear of that. What if they were able to do that? Well, now they got there. Are they going to be able to overpower all these guards and all the people that are standing guard over this jail with the extra measures that they took? The answer is no, no, and no. Absolutely not. They had no chance of doing that and were totally powerless to free themselves. And they knew it. You see, sometimes I think this is how God operates. I think God operates when He wants you to recognize and acknowledge this. I am totally powerless. Say that with me. I am totally powerless to fix this problem. Not every problem, but certain issues, certain challenges, certain difficulties. There are things that you cannot do, but He can do. Where you are weak, He is strong. And yes, He loves you. And He will lead you, and He will take you to those places. You see it in Scripture over and over. One story particularly is the story of Gideon. I mean, look, here's Gideon. they got about 32,000 men to go fight a battle. And the first thing is, you maybe know the story. If not, go to Judges 7. You can read the whole thing. I'm going to summarize it very quickly. But he sends, a, who's scared? Who doesn't want to do? Who wants to go home? 22,000 leave. That was like, not going to build up a lot of confidence. I don't think that. Hey, I got 10,000. Then he said, eh, God says, no. You know what? Send them down to the water. We're going to do this little test. And then at the end of that, whoever's left, and okay, obedient, we're going to do it. Go down there. And then, of course, as you know, it whittles away and winnows down to where there's 300 only left. Now, I don't know about you, but I think there is strength in numbers when fighting a battle. <laughs> I have to think, even though it's really not recorded, that there had to be a lot of wondering and doubt and a little bit of, a, a little bit of concern creeping in to at least the 300. But 
followed what God asked him to do. And as the scripture says, he said, I will deliver you the victory. And he did. But here's what he told him in the second verse of that, of that chapter 7 of Judges, in that story of Gideon. In order that Israel may not boast that her own strength has saved her. See, sometimes I think that God looks at us and says, you might be a little too strong or you might think you're a little too strong. You might have too many resources or maybe you think you have too many resources. You might be just a little bit full of yourself. You think he's ever said that to me? No, not to me. This is for you, not for me. (laughs) He said that to me a bunch. Billy, you're just a little bit too full of yourself. There's too much of you in there. Go look at the scripture where it says, you must increase, I must decrease. You increase, I decrease. That's what he wants us to do. That's what he was saying in that whole miracle that he performed through Gideon being obedient. And sometimes to get out of the mess we're in, you might look back and say, if you if you were able to get out of it on your own, you might say, hey, look what I did. Boy, look how smart I am. Look at how I garnered all these resources and brought all these people in, and I did all this to figure it out, and I went and made adjustments here and there, and, and boy, I've made it through. Now, sometimes there are problems that, 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 that can be done. And sometimes you're thinking, you know, it's a good thing that I'm as smart as I am. <laughs> right, Andy? <laughs> Not a chance. Or it's a good thing that I'm so capable, that I've got so many things to bring to the table. Can our praise team come as we close here? Sometimes, though, you're in a place where it's only you, the problem that you're facing, And there's one way out. And you're not alone, folks. This is the message of the day. You are not alone. I don't care what you're facing here today or what you will face in the future. You are not alone in whatever that matter is. You're not alone. And as I was preparing this this, uh, talk today, I I came across an amazing story. And I want to share it with you as quickly as I can. There was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. His name was Donald Cooliard, and his son, Matt. They were stationed in Turkey at our United States Air Force Base there. And uh, they got caught. They were, they were there, and they were going with a group of people to go skiing. And they went up to northern Turkey and went skiing. And as they got up there, they got separated from the group a little bit, took a wrong trail, and a, and a blizzard conditions came in just unexpectedly and just blew this huge blizzard over the place where they were skiing. And they got trapped, and they didn't, they couldn't find their way back. They couldn't see their hand in front of their face. But the other folk had made it down to the bottom of the hill, and so everyone was accounted for except these two, Lieutenant Colonel Coolyard and his 10-year-old son, Matt. And so now they're in survival mode, and as they got down to the bottom, the people realized they weren't there. And they sent out, of course, rescue crews, search crews, and they searched for them. And they searched for them, and they searched for them. Three days, four days, five days, a week went by. And after a week, they called off the search. What they didn't know is that they couldn't find them because they had found a little cave to get sort of tucked into. But they were desperate. 
they didn't have any food. They barely had any water. They were eating snow, and that's what they were doing to just try to survive. And they would hear the helicopters, he said, overhead the search helicopters, but by the time he could get out and try to signal to them, they were gone. And so finally, Lieutenant Colonel Couillard decided something that would have to be one of the toughest decisions, if not the toughest decision he's ever made in his life. In order to decide if he was going to live and if someone's going to have any chance to live, he had to leave that cave and go out and try to get somewhere to find help because the search had been called off. And he, he didn't know what he would do, but he thought he had to do something, so he told his son he loved him to stay where he was. But as he left, he said he thought he might not ever see him again. And what he did is he went out, and as he looked, and as he was beginning to sort of look around, he saw down at the bottom of a, of a mountainside there a group, a little cluster of cabins, little small cabins. And he saw them, and he thought, well, maybe I can get there. That's the only thing I see I hope so I can. So he got on his, uh, he had his skis, and he was traversing down this, this hillside. And uh, he was skiing a little bit, walking a little bit, resting a little bit. He got down to where these cabins were, and when he got there, he saw they were deserted. There was no one there. It looked like nobody had been there for years. So in his desperation, he broke into these cabins to try to find anything he could that might help him. He was able to find a little container that had a little bit of kerosene in it. And uh, found some wood and cobbled that together and doused the kerosene. He also had found one strikeable match, he said. He struck that match, and as he struck it, it extinguished. That kerosene and all of that. And at that point, he was defeated. At that point, he felt like it was all over. And so he laid on the floor of that cabin, not having any strength. Frostbite was setting in, all kinds of other challenges of physical exhaustion, not having any nourishment. He laid in that cabin for two days, not knowing what his next move was going to be. And then a couple of days later, he heard the sound of engines outside of that cabin. And when he did, he, he got up and he opened the door and he saw it was a group of Turkish loggers that were there to do logging operations. He signaled to them. They saw him. And they were able to rescue him. He directed them back to where his son was. His son was there. He re- they rescued his son and they were taken to sleep. And when you hear the interview and read what this man said, see, he was in a situation that he had the power to correct. He was in a situation that was desperate and to the world looked impossible. There was nothing else that could be done. And I'm going to quote what he said because I think it's so important to say it exactly the way he said it, simply And he said this, he said, by that time, all my strength was gone. And I had given up all hope of controlling the situation. And then, I just prayed, God help us. And he did. And he did. You see, when you're in that prison of difficulty, in that dungeon, wherever you might feel like you are, rightfully or wrongfully, just pray to God, help me. He will. He'll show up at your time of need. He'll bring you into a place that you didn't think was 
Jesus as he did when an earthquake that shook the foundations of a prison. God can set you free today. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how deep you're in it. He can bring you out today. He can do that because his power is so great. It's the same power that Paul and Silas experienced that day. It's the same power that Colonel Cooliard experienced that day. It's the same today, folks. It's the same. It's not any different. It's just as powerful as it ever was. And I encourage you to lean into that truth because God can set you free today. He can set you free from any kind of spirit of depression that you may have upon you. He can set you free from an addiction that you just can't seem to kick. He can set you free from living in unforgiveness in a matter that you just can't get over. But He can do it. It may be bigger than you, but He can do it for you today. He can set you free and turn around your financial difficulties in a moment in time. He's that powerful. He's that able. He can set you free and turn irreconcilable differences into reconcilable victories in your marriage. That can be done because his power is greater than any situation you face. He can deliver you and set you free from any illness or any bad report you've heard from the doctor. The next time you'll be healed and you'll have a good report. We've seen it in this church a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. I don't know how many, but we've seen it a lot. And we'll see it again because he is still able today, just as he was in that prison cell with Paul and Simon. He'll set you free because He loves you. He does it because He cares about you. He does it because none of us is any more important than the other in His eyes. We're all on equal ground. He cares about us all the same. And He may do it for another reason as well. As we look at the last scripture in this passage today, Acts chapter 16 again, looking at verse 27. It says this, The jailer woke up. See the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, don't kill yourself. Stop. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he asked, sir, what must I do? I do to be saved. And you can read on that to see what Paul said. He just declared, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and your household will be saved. How many believe that today? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. Praise God. Give him a praise offering today. Because he is interested in your family. He is interested in your life. And there is nothing too far from his reach today. saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what happened in that prison that day. That prison guard's in heaven today because of that circumstance that God brought them through. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. And in this story, do you know where Paul and Silas were in prison? I don't know if you know this story, but Paul and 
Philippi's where they planted a church there, and, and, and Paul, a few years later, had written a letter that we call the Book of Philippians. And he wrote in this letter, 